All right, so we're going to get to the second episode of uh, What is Man? Reclaiming the Original Purpose of Humanity on the Earth. We just looked at the timeline, just kind of the histor- historical basis of man, um, as the Bible tells us. Um, just to be clear, in case anybody's picking up right here for the first time. Um, basically just looked at man's patterns of exalting themselves to deity um, in a sense of, of being out of order. Um, this not about sonship and inheritance and all those things, but rather in his own efforts, in his own attempts, in his own prideful ways of following in the serpent's deception and those patterns. Um, And so, continuing to ask the question, like, who are we? Who are we as ones who are now in the last Adam lineage? Like, what are we under as far as dominion goes? Um, And we're going to lay some groundwork here in part two. Um, As I ended the last episode with the question, in the beginning, who ruled? Who reigned the earth? And I think we need to really clarify this as as elementary as it sounds, because um, I tried to gauge, of course, I've had a few conversations along these lines with people over the years, but I looked at some things online to just kind of see different teachings, different approaches. Um, What are people, not just what are they saying, but like, what is the promoted idea of you know, the existence of man, and like, why do people believe, even Bible teachers, pastors, like, what is, what is kind of the, the broad stroke view of these types of things, and, and a lot of people, I believe, really miss this simple reality that in Genesis 1, we're told that man was given two main objectives by God. He said, quote, God said to men, about men, in regards to men, at their creation. Let them rule. Alright, so God is speaking to the counsel of God in Genesis. Let's create man in our likeness, in our image, and let's let them rule. And then he tells man, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Subdue here is described as this in the original wording, is to bring something into subjection. Does this sound familiar? The first generation of man immediately chose to willingly become a slave. And what was given to him by Yahweh was then given to Satan as he became Lord, if you will, of man through the deception and lies that were delivered to Eve. Not by might, not by God-given position, not by authority handed to him from Almighty God, but he was handed dominion. God told man to subdue the earth. Bring it under subjection. And man, for the first time, became a debtor. 
enslaved through deceit that resulted in willful disobedience to God's command. He literally became cursed and was now, by forfeiting his dominion over the earth, destined to die, even a physical death, and return into the now-cursed ground which he was actually created from when it was right and clean and pure, clean from any defilement, not under a curse at his creation. And now... He would return to that cursed ground, which he was actually created from and was supposed to rule over it. He would now be placed within it in a body of death. Very interesting imagery. What a devastating exchange disobedience demands. An entire forfeiture of the destiny of man that originated in the heart of God because since man was created in the image of God, He will not and cannot fulfill his purpose on the earth apart from God. In his own attempt to ascend above God in rule and reign, he actually lost the authority and dominion he was handed to by God himself. He was handed dominion. Subdue the earth, Adam. Subdue the earth. Joel, that is the call of God unto men. Subdue the earth. Rule over it. Put it under your subjection, under me, under my lordship. I would like to take this a little bit further to what I believe is the deepest depth that I can presently believe is possible within this. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. He informs them of something that is literally incredible in my opinion. And I wonder what they thought of this when he informed them of, this, of just this mystery. In Ephesians 3.8, he begins this incredible, what I believe is this incredible revelation that he must have had and, and penned for our good. To me, he says, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. And then here it comes. Quote, And to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God. And this administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God, who created all things, is so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers, to the authorities in heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he, God, carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is a mouthful. This refers me back to a message I heard um, last fall when the speaker was talking about this verse specifically and the way he prefaced it was so awesome and powerful and he was speaking to a small group of people and he said do you realize what we're about to hear because he prefaced it as saying this administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God Paul is about to tell us what that is, as he told the Ephesians. He's about to deliver to us a mystery hidden 
Paul's about to tell us something that is now to be made known. And it's supposed to come through the church. It's not supposed to come through me. It's not supposed to come through Jason on the hill in the county next to me. This is supposed to come through the plurality, the demonstration of the corporate reality of God on the earth. The capital C church is how this eternal mystery is going to be made known. And not made known to the evil, nasty, sinful, wretched world. No, that's too little, that's too small. To the rulers and to the authorities in the heavenly places. So that the eternal purpose which he, God, carried out in Christ Jesus, our Lord. To paraphrase, do we understand that the revelation of the ages is about to come through the church as Paul told the Ephesians? To fulfill the eternal purpose that came to us through Jesus? We have to sit down and think on that. One of the primary trains of thought that I would like to present is Satan's, quote, rulership. Let's be clear. I just referenced this a couple minutes ago, but I believe this. This little snippet of understanding, if held rightly, if held and placed into an environment of maturity... Because you say this to the new believer, the new convert, you've got to be real careful. You say this to the unlearned person who knows nothing about scriptural and spiritual warfare, and you just hand them a book that contains this, we have to realize it's somewhat dangerous. Because if taken wrongly, someone can hear this and institute it into an approach that is not capable of holding it rightly in a place of maturity, in a place of tension that, that rightly views this truth. So we have to be careful, even as I say this out of my mouth, that we position ourselves to receive this with wisdom, with discernment, and with maturity. And, and allow the broad stroke of what I'm going to say to come into play upon this truth. That Satan is no king or lord of anything. By nature. It is not an inherent quality that God created him to do, to possess, to be. He was a ministering angel. Okay, he covered the throne of God. A lot of, we're not, I'm not even going to open all that. He had a position given to him by God that was to carry out the ministering purposes unto God and men. Okay? He was assigned a function and a position. He rebelled. He opposed. He wanted what was not his. He wanted to attain something that was not given to him. And in his rebellion, he lost even that and was cast down. We know that. We'll get to that scripturally to make that rock solid in all of us. So by nature... 
He was not given a place of kingship, lordship, rulership. He was a created being. All that he now possesses today is what has been handed over to him. So let's go back to this point's main question. In the beginning, who ruled? Who reigned the earth? We're told in Genesis 1, just to get right up to date, minute by minute, God says, subdue the earth, Adam. Multiply, fill the earth, put it under your subjection. That has got to be made clear. So, with this in mind, it would do us great good to walk immediately back in time to Genesis chapter 3 and establish a basic biblical doctrine very clearly. In verse 1 of chapter 3, we're introduced to the serpent who we're told has an interesting characteristic. He's crafty, which is translated as meaning he was subtly cunning. The serpent addresses Eve and all of creation is on the verge of being seemingly immediately altered. He presents a question. This serpent, this liar, deceiver, presents a question. A question that's based upon information that he somehow knew from when God spoke it to Adam before Eve was even created out of Adam's rib. Because he questions something that wasn't, it's not told to us in that exact moment of dialogue between the serpent and Eve. It seems to be information he already knew from when God spoke it to Adam. I find that intriguing because at at the conception, if you will, of man from the earth, this serpent is apparently already in the middle of that circumstance. He is somehow... Apart, if even as a spectator of what is taking place in the earliest stages of man. And after he poses this question, after he plants that seed, if you will, of of doubt and deception, Eve responds. And the first recorded lie in the scriptures is revealed. Interestingly, the crafty serpent introduces falsehood into the earth by saying God is the one lying. The first lie is to insinuate that creator God is a liar. That has got to be cemented in our thinking, in our approach to spiritual warfare and taking thoughts captive and being aware and alert of He is the accuser of the brethren. He, the serpent, in case somebody doesn't know what I'm talking about. I find it interesting that the first lie is to say and insinuate that Creator God is the liar. Did He really say that, Eve? Did He really mean that? Is that really for your good? Inception of lying. The deception of the first Adam begins, and the father of lies has unleashed his plan into all of mankind. Boom! Just like that. Scripture tells us that there is no truth in him. Interestingly, 
He fully knew that God-likeness was not possible according to the means he was presenting. He knew that because he was the one who experienced it firsthand. He knew that would not exalt man above God. He knew that because he's a liar and a deceiver who was cast out. So even the lie that he presented, he knew himself would not accomplish equality with God because he tried it himself and failed and was banished from God's presence. So his intent from the very outset was absolute pure evil to bring down the pinnacle apple of God's eye creation into his fallen condition. And he succeeded. He himself sought to advocate the throne of Yahweh and was cast down. That's in Isaiah 14. The reason I bring this to light is very important because as I reflect on my religious upbringing, I feel that Satan has always been portrayed as this almost equal rival of God. As if the battle of the ages has played out like some comic book storyline for all of time. God, of course, is good. The devil plays the villain. And Christian rhetoric today, if we really scrutinized it, would have us believe that they somehow duke it out in an ongoing supernatural fighting match until God pulls out a victory in the end and establishes his kingdom on a new heaven and a new earth. And it's like some movie scene where everybody screams triumphant in victory. And it's just this emotion-filled, fueled idea that is not biblically accurate. Satan is not beside God duking it out for who wins today. In your life or mine. There's so much talk about the ongoing spiritual battle. Yes, there is warfare. We're told we wrestle. We have to wrestle against principalities and powers. And I remember another message from a year or two ago I listened to, like, why did they say wrestling in the Scriptures? Why was it worded in such a way? Because wrestling is right up grappling with another. It's an intimate, if you will, a, a, a face-to-face, body-to-body wrestling and grappling with the principalities and powers. How in the world do we do that as natural men? And this goes to what I posted a couple days ago about like, this is why we have to have spiritual eyes to see because we're not talking about wrestling in the natural. And let me even insert the question, are you wrestling with principalities and powers today? Or are you just hung up on trying not to wrestle against flesh and blood? Because the reality is, that we are even in the midst of straining and striving and laboring unto here, is we are not to just stop at not wrestling against flesh and blood. That's not the goal. The goal is so that we're free from wrestling distracted by flesh and blood so that we can actually wrestle against who, we are, who we're supposed to, which are the principalities and powers. And so, therefore, if all we do is wrestle against one another, which is where I started with the introduction, 
If the enemy has us so deceived and distracted that all we do is wrestle against a political party or another country or another culture or another religious order or another denomination or another color or any other thing that comes into our sphere that threatens us and we have to wrestle and we have to fight and we have to stand up for our place We, my friends, are in the way of Cain, and we have murderous hearts, and we are rooted and established in the lie of the garden where the serpent deceived man. Period. We will never wrestle rightly against principalities and powers until we realize that is true. And I believe that's why the demons say, hey, we know Jesus, we know you, and we know you. But y'all right here, we're about to kick your tail. Because we know not you. You are a joke. We're about to strip you naked and beat you because you are fools. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want that to be my story. So, I have to rightly, in maturity, realize I was created to subdue the earth. And I too can easily entertain the lies of the garden. Easily. If I'm walking as a natural man. If I'm walking in the steps of my forefather in the natural, first Adam. So although many may love the enticing feel of that like hypothetical, dramatic, supernatural battle in the sky, it's simply not biblically accurate. We must realize God has no rival. There is no one above Him. There's no one beside Him. There's no one right below Him battling it out. The earth is His footstool people. He rules without threat. He rules without any intimidation. And to make this abundantly more clear, and to drive my first point home with precision, let's examine how Satan gained his authority. Was it according to his great might and prowess? Did he wage some battle of the ages against God or even against man and come out as some awesome victorious ruler? No! Did he go toe-to-toe with God and win control over the earth and God said, here, have it. You overpowered me. He didn't even say you overpowered men. He deceived man. He lied. He was a simple deceiver. There's no power in that. It is deception and lies, not rulership-based power. So we must ask some questions. So how did Satan achieve his present status of authority? 
What even is his present status of authority? Who ruled the earth before he came on the scene so quickly in Genesis? We must know the answers to these questions. What I find the most interesting of these questions is that basically, one sentence answers all three vital questions at once. The answer, if you will, is to the question originally asked in Psalm 8, verses 4 through 6. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. So David, we know, as he's writing this, he's, however he recorded it, whether it was in greater measure later as he reflected back on a circumstance or if he penned it right then and there while he's laying on his back, looking up at the heavens and the stars, the beautiful night sky, and he sees all this expanse and he understands his frame. He understands he's just a speck of dust on the entire earth. He is a grain of sand on an endless beach. He gets that. He sees that. He is humbled by that reality. And that is absolutely true and necessary for us to realize and continue to walk in in every single thing that we do. That is true. What is man? that you are mindful of him. But he goes on to answer his questions. And we can't just stop there. Oh, lowly man. Oh, God, why do you care about us at all? Okay, well, let's let's hold that in in maturity. If it's humility, then amen, stay there. But if it's just pity, then forget it and burn it up. But can we see that David continues on immediately in that verse and tells us answers to these questions? You made him, he says, to creator God. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. I'm not even going to divulge all the thoughts on that. You, God, crowned man with glory and honor. You made him ruler. Oh, whoa, whoa, wait, what? God made men ruler over the works of your hands. Hmm. Interesting. Do we see that today? Do we live that today? And not only that, he concludes those two verses, those three verses... You put everything under his feet. So what is lowly man? Oh my goodness, we're so small. In comparison to God, we we aren't even an ant. But by God's order, by God's setting in place, he made us a little lower than heavenly beings and crowned us with glory and honor and he made us ruler over the work of his hands and put everything under our feet. First of all, I don't believe that this is meant to be viewed from a vantage point of mere pity because he answers that question. As he's thinking of that thought in its entirety, he answers his own thoughts and questions. So who is this mere man? God created us in high order. He crowned us. 
God himself, according to his design, did this. I find it interesting that Paul starts off his letter to the Ephesians by telling us that last Adam, Jesus, has, quote, but all things, excuse me, all things in subjection under his feet. And he gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Do we see that connection? Can we understand that Jesus came to institute, reinstitute, if you will, the original order of God on the earth through the apple of his eye, man? Even the wording is the same. Because Jesus put everything in subjection under his feet. Jesus came, did all that he did that we won't even get into, and established a reordering of dominion on the earth. Same verbiage, same rule. A restored reality that was surrendered by the first Adam was restored by the last. So again, how did Satan gain his rule? He surrendered it. He, man, surrendered it unto Satan to give him dominion. We will surrender and give our authority to someone, people. We will either enter into the last Adam restored dominion, or we will repeat the surrendering of dominion that we were giving back to the liar serpent in the garden. So in closing, who ruled in the beginning? Who reigned the earth? And who in Jesus, in the last Adam reality, will walk out in dominion once more?